Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message and our current In the Word series as we journey through the book of Colossians. Let's take a listen. What Paul is attempting to do in Colossians right now, what we're going to look at today, is bring clarity to new believers of who Jesus is. Because if you remember, if you go back two or three weeks, I think this is week three in the book of Colossians, what's happening is in the the city of Colossae, the church is growing, but people are beginning to come to the church. And so therefore, some false teachings, some false doctrines are infiltrating the church. And so the, the new believers are hearing all of this. And so what at some point was made very clear is now getting very cloudy because it's being clouded with lies versus the truth. And I heard something this week that that Louis Giglio kind of paints the picture for the book of Colossians that really makes a lot of sense. And it's talking about the idea of clarity and be able to see things through the right lenses. And he talks about going to the eye doctor. He talks about going to the optometrist and, and, and I personally have not been there yet, but the, the, the analogy that he paints is when we're going to have our eyes tested, everybody sees the eye chart right on the wall. We all look at that and we can see what is the top letter. You ain't even looking at it and you know. So see, you're cheating on the eye test to begin with. You already know what it is. But when people see the E, they say it with boldness, they say it with confidence. But the further they make it down the eye chart, what we begin to see is they begin to squint. They begin to try everything in their power to make what they're looking at clear. Now, the bad part is, is I don't have a problem seeing that way, but this is a different story because I'm ready for the day that I have to put my glasses up on this stage. And you better get your laugh out now because I better not hear any the day I do it, okay? But what I realized is that when I get up in the mornings at my house and I go and sit in my recliner and I I pull out my Bible, what I have to do is I have to look at what I'm reading from all different angles. I have to turn it so the light's right. I have to get my arms a little bit further away and then I have to squint and I'm doing everything I can to make it clear. So you see, essentially that's what's going on in, in the city of Colossae right now is the vision, the, the view of who Jesus is, is being clouded. And so you've got these new believers that are essentially trying to squint just to make sense of who Jesus is. And what Paul is trying to do, his attempt here, is to put on the correct lenses so that they can understand who Jesus is. And so that's what we're gonna attempt today. We're gonna look at a lot. I'll just go ahead and tell you. But here's the, there's two disclaimers that go with what we're gonna look at today, all right? The first one is this. No matter how good we try to explain something, 
No matter how we try to describe something, there's gonna be some stuff in the word of God that our human minds will not comprehend. We gotta be okay with that. Because here's the reality. A God that is easy enough to explain is probably not a God easy, big enough to be worshiped. I wanna worship something that can't be explained. I wanna worship someone that I can't put words around. So the first disclaimer is that. Be okay with not being able to understand it all. And then secondly, the more clear that Jesus becomes to us, the more clear we see him and for who he is, the more clear it becomes who we're not. So the two disclaimers is okay to under, not understand it all, but the second one is, is the more clear it's made who Jesus is, the more clear it is made of who we are not. So here we go. You ready? You ready to not understand a lot of stuff? Okay, good. We're gonna read a lot. We're gonna go in Colossians chapter one and we're gonna read verses 15 through 23. All right, here we go. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Verse 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present to you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all of creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, have been made a minister. God, I pray right now that you would meet us through your word. God, I pray that there's someone here today that their view of you may be a little clouded. God, they may be actively squinting right now to make sense of who you are. So God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would put the correct lenses on every individual heart in this room to help us see who you are. And God, when we see who you are, we also see who we're not. And that drives us to lean on you for salvation. And so God, we trust you with that today. We love you and we thank you for what you're about to do because your word does not return void. And so God, we are thankful for that in Jesus' name, amen. You probably picked up on something in reading of all of those verses. 
What I love about this is kind of Paul's approach that he uses to discuss who Jesus is. If you notice 18 times just in those verses that we read, he uses the pronoun that points all the attention to Jesus. Now remember, there's a lot of false teachings going on. So the approach that Paul is using here is he's wanting them to be, pay more attention to the truth rather than the lies. Because I think as a, as a school teacher, as anybody that's trying to correct your children, one thing that we focus on is all the mistakes. We, we focus on the lies, but essentially what we need to be doing is focusing on the truth. Now, here's what we mean by that. You see, if you remember, Paul had been praying for them. He prayed for them specifically that they would be filled with the knowledge, the wisdom, and the understanding of who God is. So he's not only praying for them. What I love about Paul is he is living out what he's praying. So not only is he praying that they be filled with the knowledge and wisdom and understanding of God, he's not just praying about it, but he's doing something about it. He's attempting to fill them with the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of who God is because now he's telling them. So not only is Paul just praying about it, but Paul is doing something about it. And the interesting thing is this, is the way that he approaches it is he wants them to know the truth. Because the easy thing to be would do is try, try, to, try to attack all of the false teachings and say, well, no, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is not right. But instead, Paul doesn't worry about all that stuff. Paul just says, you know what? If I can fill their, their minds with the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of who God is, then there will be no room for the lies because their mind will be filled with the truth. You know, this is the same approach that the federal government uses to help people recognize counterfeit money. You know, when we recognize counterfeit money or when they do, they don't put out all of the counterfeit bills for them to focus on all of, the, all of the mistakes and everything that makes it fake. But what they do in their training is they are so focused on the truth, they're so focused on what real money looks like that when all of a sudden they're faced with something that's not real, they recognize the lie. That is the importance of us understanding the scriptures is so that we, we don't necessarily have to infiltrate our minds with all of the cults, all the false religions. What I encourage you to do is I trust the power of God's word. And if we will fill our hearts and our minds with the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of this, then all of a sudden the lies are gonna jump off the page to us. That is why we spend every awakening moment of our Sundays in the word of God. So here's what I encourage you, and some may disagree with this, and I'm okay. I'm learning that in this role, there's a lot of people that disagree. <laughs> Usually my personality, I'm not okay with that, but I'm, I'm learning. So what I encourage you is this. Don't exhaust all of your energy trying to figure out all of these false religions that this world is throwing at us. Don't exhaust all of your study time trying to figure out all these false doctrines. Take all of that energy, take all of that, that, that want to that you have and focus on the truth. Because when we focus on the truth, it's easier to recognize the lies. So make sure that we're staying focused 
on the truth of who God is. And so that's exactly what Paul is trying to do. He's, he's identifying the truth with the man of Jesus. And what we see in this, these verses that we've just read Here's the thing, if you have a problem comprehending the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we just read every bit of it. In just those, I think, nine verses, we read the gospel message here. It's all there. From the birth to the beginning, which we're gonna go there in just a minute. That's one that'll make your head hurt really bad. But all the way to the resurrection, all the way to salvation, it's all in verses 15 through 23. It's all there. And so what Paul is doing is he paints the picture of him as creator. He speaks of him as being the head of the church. And he speaks of him being the savior. Now there's something I do want to set straight that if we're not careful, this gets twisted in some of the false teachings. What was said in verse 15, what Paul wrote, that he is the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean that Jesus was the first that was created. It doesn't mean that Jesus was created. We're gonna talk about the birth of Jesus a little while later, but what we have to understand is that we gotta wrap our minds around that Jesus was not created, that Jesus has always been. You say, well, no, Brian, he didn't come into the gospels in the New Testament. No, you go back and look all through the New Testament and Jesus is, or in the Old Testament, Jesus is all throughout the Old Testament. He's all over the Old Testament. Everything is pointing to the birth of him becoming the visible of the invisible God. And so we're gonna talk about that in just a little moment, a little, little while later. But the thing is, this is one of those topics what we're about to look at that'll make your head hurt. How many times do you read things in God's word and it just leaves you dumbfounded? You're all lying if you're not sitting there going, me. Think about the concept of eternity. Somebody explain eternity to me. You can't. And when we think that there's no end, when we think that it's the thinking about in our mind trying to process that there is no end. You know, you've tried to have it all measured out and they say, well, if you imagine a bird that's gonna fly down to all the beaches and take a grain of sand and fly it to the moon until all the beaches on the earth are empty, then that's just the beginning. Well, that's just the beginning, so we've already put a bookend on forever. So, so thinking about eternity makes our minds hurt. And it just leaves us in that condition where we're just, or am I the only dummy in the room? Maybe I'm the only moron that can't understand it. Because I find myself a lot of times just going, I don't get it. And that's exactly what we're about to look at. Flip to the Gospel of John. John chapter one, verses one and two. I hope this helps you better understand what's impossible to understand. I don't even know if that makes sense. John chapter one, look at verses one and two. In the beginning was the word. The word there is Jesus, the person of Jesus. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, he, there's that pronoun again, in reference to Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. (laughs) Sounds great, don't it? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now we know that that Word means Jesus. The pronoun he there is referencing again to Jesus, but it says that Jesus was in the beginning. Verse 17 in Colossians that we just read a moment ago, it says that he was before all things. So as he was before all things, the only way I know to describe Jesus, the only way that I know to talk about Jesus is that he was before the beginning. He was before the beginning. Because you see, the the God that we serve, creator God, the reason that we have to wrap our minds around this word beginning or we have a hard time processing the word beginning is because when we put a beginning to it, there has to be an end to it. And so there's the bookends of time that we have a hard time. That's That's the only way we comprehend things. It's through time. You know what time service starts and you pray to God you know when it ends. (laughs) We're confined to time, right? But you see, the God that we serve invented the time. He created the time. And so therefore, to create the time, he has to be outside the time. In Genesis chapter one, verse five, and we see where this took place. Genesis chapter one, verse five. It says this, that God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. This was the beginning of time. But you see, it took a God who was outside time to create the sphere of time. Does that make sense? I hope not. Because it don't to me, but it sounds like it does. So here's God, creator God, inventing this sphere of time. So God existed before the time. He dwells outside the time. But according to John 1.1, the word who is Jesus, he too dwells outside of time because John 1.2 says that he was with God. So therefore, if God exists outside, there also Jesus exists outside of time. Jesus has always been. Jesus has always been. And then we fast forward to the birth of Jesus. We read about that in John 1, 4. And I love how it's worded there. I love how John wrote it. It says in John 1, 4, in him was life and in the life was the light of men. This is Jesus. You see, this is when, not that he was created, but it's when the invisible God became visible. It's when the invisible God wrapped himself in human flesh to come and save that which was lost. 
And some say, well, this is the beginning of the rescue mission. No, it's not. The rescue mission began at the fall of man in Genesis. Jesus has always been. And Jesus will always be. So we kind of, if you would, put bookends on it. Here we go again, trying to put a beginning and an end to this. But on verse, in verse 17, kind of sums it all up. In verse 17, it says, he is before all things. Meaning that Jesus has always been. And in him, all things hold together. So not only was he before all things, but he is still currently and presently holding all the very things that he created together. And I know when we think about this verse, I know for me, when I think about the God of the universe, when I think about God holding all things together, I always think big picture. I always think of when God's holding things together, I think of the universe, I think of the stars, I think of the planet, I think of the sun and how all of that chaos is going out in our universe, but yet an almighty God is holding that all together. That doesn't make sense. That's the reason that science can't explain a God that we serve. Just think about something that'll make your head hurt. Right now in this moment, here's something mind blowing. We're all sitting here in this room. Everybody's pretty still, right? At this current moment, we are on a planet that is traveling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. Okay, y'all all look dumbfounded too. Or maybe y'all just... <laughs> and at the very same time, the planet that we're on is rotating around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. At the very same time, the earth is going around the moon at 2,288 miles an hour. That's, that's a lot of spinning. Then at the same time, the very planet we're sitting on is sitting on its axis and spinning 1,000 miles an hour. How many of you get motion sickness? Why aren't we all throwing up? I can't even, I hate roller coasters for reasons such as going 67,000 miles an hour in circles. So how is it that we can sit here in a room like this and be traveling at the speed that we're traveling and we're all just having a good old time? Because the God that we serve holds it all together. And so while we think about this from a big picture standpoint. That's okay, because that's how I think of things. It's mind-blowing. But I want to tell you this. I want to encourage you with this. While we serve a God who is big enough to hold all the universe, don't you dare forget that we serve a God who holds you together too. Because there's some of you that walked in this room this morning, and it feels that your life is spinning out of control. You feel that every time you take a turn, that it's another punch. Maybe you've lost your family. 
Maybe you've lost your marriage. Maybe your kids have, have left the home and they are living with the demons you think in your mind. But can I tell you that we serve a God that not only worries and loves us enough to hold the universe together, but even in the midst of your spinning out of control, your life right now as things are falling apart, we serve a God who holds us together. He holds us together. But the question is, are we as believers allowing what God holds together to be used for his glory? Are you allowing God to use your life that's spinning out of control? Are you allowing God to, to, to use the very life around you that seems like it's falling apart? Are you allowing God and welcoming God? Say, God, because you hold the universe together, I know you hold me together, and God, I want you to use it to make your name famous. I want you to use my story. God, I want you to use my circumstances. God, I want you to use this disaster that I'm living in right now because God wants to use what's falling apart because when he uses what's falling apart, it's his opportunity to show that he has the power to hold it together. You know, we sang just a moment ago Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That song was for someone here this morning. That in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of the unknown that you're walking through, you simply need to hear the voice of God that says, hey, just turn your eyes to me. Just turn your eyes to me. I am creator God. I'm the head and I'm the savior. Turn your eyes to me. You know, we could really just stop right here because that's a lot. That is a lot to chew on. That is a, that's a lot to not understand. But I want us to keep looking And I want you to read right now verse 18 and 19. I know we've already read it, but we're gonna read it again. Verse 18 and 19, it says, he is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself, if it will come to have first place in everything. For it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. So what we see here is what should jump off the page at all of us is the fact that God says, or that Paul writes, it was God's pleasure that all the fullness dwell in the person of Jesus Christ. That every bit of it, you understand that's the gospel in a nutshell that everything would dwell in the person of Jesus Christ. That's creation, that's life, that's death, and that's resurrection. Everything dwelled in the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason that it was showed pleasure for it to all dwell in the person of Jesus Christ is because God created us and he knows us and he knows that it would be an impossibility for us to satisfy God in our flesh. 
He knew that it would be an impossibility for us to earn God's love. He knew that it would be an impossibility for us to walk in purity in our flesh. And so therefore, God and his love for all of us, it pleased him for the fullness of it all to rest in the person of Jesus Christ because he knew that you couldn't do it and he knew that I couldn't do it. This was the, the, the mistake-free plan. He knew that there was no way that this wouldn't work. And so this is why he was satisfied for all the fullness to be in the person of Jesus Christ. And the fullness that he's talking about is the ministry of reconciliation. And as a believer of Jesus Christ, this ministry of reconciliation, according to the word, is now ours. We have now taken on the ministry of reconciliation, meaning which we are the ones that carry the good news. We are the ones that carry the gospel. And here's the reality. It's never good news if we don't ever talk about it. How selfish of us to keep the good news to ourselves. What's it gonna look like when there's some foolproof plan one day that comes out of the woodwork that, that heals cancer and this guy's known about it his whole life? We would all think he's the biggest jerk in the world. How long have you been holding on to that? How long have you been keeping that to yourself? Church, if you're a believer, you've got the cure. You've got the cure for salvation that overcomes death. Cancer's nothing. But we have the ministry of reconciliation. And that's the very reason that God sent his son Jesus was to carry out this ministry of reconciliation because the purpose was to reconcile us back to the father. It was to reconcile us back to the father. And in verses 20 through 23, it summarizes all of that. It sums up this message or this, this ministry of reconciliation. This is how it would be accomplished. In verses 20 through 23, this is how we will be reconciled. This is how we will be made right with God. But I want you to keep in mind, while all these false teachings are taking place, Paul here is talking to believers. He's talking to the people who have already been saved by grace through faith. But you see, their vision has become cloudy. And so he's reminding them, he's saying, don't you forget that you were once alienated. You were once outside the family of God. As you heard last week, as Jared talked about the light and the darkness, you were once in the dark. But because of the reconciliation of who Jesus is, you now have the ability to step into the light. Nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you overcoming a sin. Nothing with you to stopping a bad habit. Doesn't matter how good of a person you've become. But for you to step from darkness to light has nothing to do with you. And it only comes through the saving grace of who he is. Only through him. So as a believer this morning, you understand 
for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We were once alienated as a result of our sin. We were once outside the family of God. We were once separated from a God, but God in his love and his grace and his mercy, that's not the way he wanted this story to end. So he sends his son Jesus to die to shed his blood so that the blood would wash our sins so that he could overcome death, hell and the grave so that we then could trust that and be reconciled back to the father. It was all the fullness was in him. The fullness of all of this was in the person of Jesus. But you see, in the moment of that salvation, in the moment of us placing our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we go from being in the dark to being in the light. It's that simple. Trusting in Jesus Christ for the finished work. But to step into the light, you see, you gotta wrap your mind around, you're not stepping through the ability to be better. You're not stepping through your credentials. You're not stepping through your resume. What you are simply stepping through is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is what purifies, that is what makes us holy. That is what makes us righteous. Has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with you stepping through the threshold of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's salvation. That is our victory. And in that moment, when we step from this darkness to light, in that moment, when we trust the shed blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us, to purify us of our sins, in that moment, we are now, according to the scriptures, joint heirs with Christ. That means whatever's his is ours. That means eternity. That means the power. It is now ours because of him. And in that moment of salvation, we are united. We are adopted into the family of God. We're adopted. That is the Father taking us and allowing us to be a part and join the family of God, the church. Now keep in mind, as Paul is writing this letter to a local congregation, when he says the church, this is not simply just to the Colossian church. This is not just to the city of Colossae or the believers that are making up this city. When he says that you are born into the church, when you are now part of the church, this is the global church. This is the universal church. That means that everyone who has walked through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, trusted in him for salvation, are now all part of the family. Here's a newsflash. Chestnut Mountain Church is not the only church. You get that, right? This is the very reason that we pray for churches all around this community. Because the truth is this morning as the two women gave their life to Christ in the first service, what you gotta understand is the family just got bigger. So right down the road at Christ's place this moment, morning, I'm trusting that people are giving their life to Christ. Guess what? The family's growing. 
This morning at Free Chapel, I'm trusting that people are giving their life to Christ. And though the family continues to grow. And we as a family, guess what we do? We celebrate it. That is why we want to see revival in this community. Yes, we want it here, but we want it all over the world. So our family grows. So our family continues to grow. Well, good for you. That was weird. <laughs> Golly. She found that on the web, so let me ask her what the heck she's talking about. But then we see then verse 18, when it talks about this church and it talks about the head. Now it's very easy to celebrate being a part of something. It's very easy to be a part of a family. It's very easy to be a part and be excited about belonging to something. Because there's a desire within all of us. You can be the most introverted person on the planet, but there is still something planted in you that you have a desire to be a part of something. But you see, that is a void that only unity with Christ can fill. But then when we are united with Christ, we're now united with the body. And so while it's so easy to celebrate this concept of being a part of something, I want you to think about something that's so easy to celebrate. But the truth is, is what I want you to hear is that just being a part of a local church means nothing in eternity. Just being here this morning has nothing to do with eternity. Having perfect attendance in small groups for 27 years, has nothing to do with eternity. Because the question is, have we surrendered to the head? Now here's kind of the picture that Paul paints too in reference to the church and the joining of this body. The Greek word for church comes from the word ekklesia. And so I want you to hear this definition. The word ecclesia, here it is, is a gathering of the citizens called out from their homes into some public place to be a part of an assembly. So I want you to hear that again. To be an ecclesia is a gathering of the citizens called out from their homes. Homes here in this passage would represent darkness. They're called out of the darkness, called out into a public place, or called into an assembly of people. So you see, many of us can relate to that. We can go back to the moment we were saved. We can go back to the moment that we knew the Holy Spirit was drawing us. And when we hear that picture that's painted, the ecclesia, we see that we were once in the darkness, and now the Holy Spirit of God knocks on the front door of our hearts, and he says, come in or come out, come out, step from the darkness to the light. But here's the question. When all, when we receive that invitation, when the Holy Spirit draws us, when the Holy Spirit knocks on our front door, are we gonna stay put? 
Or are we gonna step through the threshold and join the family of God? Because you see, here's what I want you to picture here too. Picture you're in the darkness. Picture your home as the darkness. Not your physical home, but just for location right here, what Paul's talking about. You're in the darkness. The Holy Spirit draws you. The Holy Spirit knocks on your door. And then in that moment, you either stay put or you step through the threshold. You step through the threshold of the doorway that goes from darkness to light. And in that moment, here's what I want you to wrap your minds around. As you step through that threshold, it doesn't mean that you've now overcome all your sin. It doesn't mean that you have now figured out this church life. It doesn't mean that all of your struggles are now left behind. All it simply means is that when we step from darkness to light, as we step through the threshold, as the Holy Spirit knocks on our heart's door, we are plunging ourselves through the shed blood of Jesus and we're trusting that shed blood for the wiping away of all of that sin, all of that guilt, all of that shame. And so now when the Father sees us, He doesn't see the guilt. He doesn't see the shame. He doesn't see the sin. He sees the shed blood of his son that we have trusted. That's why we're righteous. That's why we're holy. It has nothing to do with you. So the question is, have you stepped through the threshold? Have you stepped through the threshold of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness? Because there's some of you this morning that the Holy Spirit has been knocking on your heart's door for weeks. You've been running from it. You've been ignoring it. You've been turning your back to it. But the question is, is will you just simply step through the shed blood of Jesus to be wiped clean, to be reconciled to the Father? Now, as we brought up just a minute ago, you know, I could ask this question, how many of you are are members of Chestnut Mountain Church? Many of you would raise your hand. We just mentioned membership class just a moment ago. But I want you to hear me say this. You going through some membership class has no effect on your eternity. You signing some dotted line as to being a part of this body has nothing to do with your salvation. Yes, it should be a result of your salvation because I believe that God has called us to be a part of a local assembly. But what I am so fearful of is that there's gonna be people that when Christ returns for his church, when Christ returns for the bride and we stand before an almighty and a just God, we're then gonna begin to explain everything that we've done as to why God should let us in. God, I joined Chestnut Mountain Church God, I didn't miss a Sunday for three years. But the question is, have you simply trusted him? Because honestly, you don't care about all that other stuff. 
Because what I think is gonna happen is we're gonna see people and this should break all of our hearts. And this should shake some of you this morning that one day you're gonna stand before an almighty God and you're gonna say, well, I was a member of a church. That's great. But if you notice the head and the body go together. I'm not a rocket scientist here and I don't think you have to be. But if you have a body with no head, there's no life. The head is what gives the body life. The head is what gives the body the ability to breathe. The head is what gives the body the ability to, to, for the heart to beat. All of those things. But at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of people with a misconception that I'm a part of this body but I've never surrendered to the Lordship and the authority of who Jesus is as the head of the church. We've got a lot of people that play the church games that jump through all of the hoops of being a part of a church, but we've never surrendered to the head. And let me remind you, you can be a part of whatever body you want to, but if you're not surrendered to the head, there is no life. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. So when I ask you the question, have you joined a church? I don't care. Have you surrendered to the head of the church? Is your body attached to the life source? Because there's no doubt in my mind this morning, in this room right now, the very same as the first service, there's people in here that you're a part of a body you may have taught Sunday school for years. You may have been a deacon, you may have been an elder. You may have been a parking lot greeter. But the question is, are you attached to the head? Because what you've done means nothing if you don't have life. Many of you probably know April and Jason Lester. God's used them in a mighty way in this community for years. But April comes up to me after the first service and she said, do you know mine and Jason's story? I said, no. Jason was youth pastor and his wife was serving right alongside him. But you see, the Holy Spirit continued to knock. They had played all the games. They were serving. They were checking all the boxes. But you see, a revival came. And I won't share all the details, but over about a four-month period, the Holy Spirit revealed to them that it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. You've never trusted me as your savior. So the youth pastor and his wife get saved after two years of serving in the church. You don't talk about revival. 
Church, when are we gonna get over ourselves? When are we gonna let our pride stay in our seat and say, I don't care what people think. I don't care that when I get up or when I surrender my heart and my life to Christ, I don't care what people think about what I've done in the past. Because at the end of the day, when you stand before an almighty and a just God, you know where they're gonna be? Not with you. So how many of us have played that game? How many of us are playing that game currently? In your mind, you're very uncomfortable right now. In your spirit, you're very uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit's saying, that's you. You've served, you've done this, you've done that. And the enemy's gonna tell you, that's enough. That's enough, you've done enough. You can't do enough. That is why all of the fullness rests in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.